Chapter 8. You've begun testing? Draper's Gulfstream 5 landed in Memphis without a hitch, coming to rest in a private hangar, virtually hidden among the large FedEx cargo planes. Mid-December wasn't an ideal time to call an emergency board meeting. However, due to the recent hiccup in their money laundering operation, he needed to address the board sooner than later. He was a big believer in getting ahead of the story and shaping the narrative. He'd seen too many people in leadership positions fuck up because they didn't have the balls to deliver bad news. This wasn't a problem for him, not to say that he relished the thought. However, done right, positioning bad news properly is the perfect way to make yourself indispensable. That is, if people think you're the only one that can solve the problem. During his military career and his role as an organization chairperson, he'd proven adept at being the professional in the room. The fact that the organization was his brainchild and he'd helped make its members an enormous amount of money, that didn't hurt either. Memphis was a no-brainer for the impromptu board meeting. The city was the largest cargo hub in the world. Thanks to FedEx, there was an immense amount of air traffic to mask the comings and goings of private jets. In addition, FedEx routinely held executive briefings in December with their larger customers in an effort to coordinate logistics during the holiday season. This gave organization members perfect cover and allowed them to mix in with other corporate meetings. By late afternoon, Draper had made his way to the Madison the most exclusive hotel in Memphis, and secured private suites for his members as well as a private lounge for drinks and dinner that evening, calling in a few favors in the process. Though his secretary always traveled with him and handled more of his routine affairs, he still preferred to do a lot of the heavy lifting himself when it came to the details of a meeting like this. As a former Marine officer in charge of logistics, not only was he exceptionally good at it, but found that tending to the small details of a meeting such as this helped give his normally restless mind some rest. It was a needed break from the seemingly endless scenarios of an intrigue and opportunity that continually played out in his head. By 7 p.m., all of the board members had arrived, and they were sipping 70-year-old scotch, talking about the recent presidential election and pissing and moaning about how proposed corporate tax reform was inevitably going to screw up their lives. There were 12 board members in all, Draper being the chairman and the deciding vote in the event of a tie. Those in attendance represented every major industry from fossil fuels, clean energy, military manufacturing and consulting, finance and banking, agriculture, food and beverage, shipping and logistics, construction conglomerates, and pharmaceuticals. There were slightly more than 50 companies that were members of the organization, each board member elected to represent their interests. The organization was conceived by Draper after watching companies fight it out for new opportunities during the Balkan conflict in the early 1990s. None of the companies were particularly concerned about who ultimately won, However, with Serbs and Croats blowing the shit out of each other in a three-way war that pulled in NATO, companies of all shapes and sizes from every corner of the world 
Welcome Chaos is an opportunity to rebuild and gain new footholds into an emerging economy. As a Marine attaché to NATO, Draper quickly developed a feel for the changing business landscape. As a supply and logistics officer, he understood graft on a personal level, developing close relationships with military contractors, which over the years were invaluable in building personal wealth during the war. Greed and his selective sense of patriotism eventually melded into a unique worldview, seeing the corporate battlefield as the most important fight America needed to win. When the Maastricht Treaty was signed in 1992, forming the European Union, his concerns that U.S. companies would face increasing competition from a unified Europe were validated. Sensing that U.S. corporate hegemony hung in the balance, he first reached out to his military contacts and continued up the food chain until he had essentially harnessed the fears of several major U.S. companies and focused them with laser-like efficiency on forming the organization with a goal of furthering American corporate dominance and owning the playing field when possible. Even with their lofty goals, what they were doing was strictly illegal and it was, in essence, nothing more than a collection of well-fed, jet-setting, corporate assholes focused solely on their own self-interest. A true white-collar mob that made immense sums of money by manipulating markets and laundering money from less savory operations such as drug and human trafficking. Draper wasn't particularly fond of either of those activities, himself wading into the ugly waters of child slavery in Bosnia, to rescue a young girl which he subsequently raised like a daughter. However, as the organization grew, he wasn't able to quash every shitty idea. Instead, he had to pick and choose his battles carefully to make sure that secrecy and plausible deniability for organization members remained intact. No easy feat considering the strong personality sitting at the table with him digging into their steak and lobster dinner with the zeal of a corporate takeover. With dinner and chit-chat completed, they adjourned into an adjoining boardroom where the immense conference table had been removed and replaced with 13 comfortable club chairs and side tables in which to rest their aperitifs and ashtrays. The hotel had a strict no-smoking policy, which was completely ignored. It came with the territory when dealing with corporate titans. They'd rather pay to have carpets and drapes replaced instead of foregoing a Cuban cigar after dinner. Draper settled in and quickly delved into the most pressing matters at hand, Greenleaf and the Glasser operation. Some of you may be aware that we recently suffered a substantial setback in our money laundering operations, Draper began. He paused, listening to the murmur of the room and watching several board members cringe at the term. One of the older members put a cigar down and spoke through a cloud of smoke, his thick New England accent hammering out each word succinctly. You know, we'd prefer you didn't use that term. It's so unseemly, the board member said. Draper's eyes narrowed and his blood pressure began to rise. Bob? Draper said, using the pharmaceutical magnate's first name. Unseemly. Are you starting to use your own product? Snorting Vicodin? We're not here for the shrimp cocktail, Bob, 
he said, picking up a piece of shrimp and throwing it toward the middle of the table. We're here because we have a gaping hole in one of our operations that needs to be addressed. Draper's blue eyes coming to life, boring a hole into the skull of the big pharma board member. Draper continued, We recently had to shutter one of our cash reallocation operations facilities, he said, staring directly at the incensed board member while using the euphemism. Because of that, cash reallocation, or to make it more unseemly, money laundering activities will be stopped in all of our Canadian cannabis facilities for the time being. This is attributable to Magnus Johnson, our operations director in Canada. He's no longer with us, by the way. However, we've begun the arduous task of tidying up and making sure no suspicions have been aroused. There was another audible murmur from the board members as they looked at each other in shock, nervously flicking their ashes. Glenn Halvers, the CEO of Agrifuse, a leading manufacturer of agricultural products, genetically modified seeds and chemicals, was first to speak up. No longer with us? It's not like you can lay him off, Glenn Halvers said. I realize that, Glenn. Magnus is dead, Draper said flatly. What does that mean exactly? Halvers, suddenly aware that his and Magnus's off-the-books plant toxin project was essentially dead, too. It means he's fucking dead, Glenn. What don't you understand? If you want the specifics, he died in a fire, but not without screwing things on an epic scale, Draper uncharacteristically shouted. He listened to the murmur around the table and the confused looks for dramatic effect, then continued. Magnus was operating outside of his purview. From what I can tell, he was in the process of developing some form of plant toxin and a vaccine or a cure simultaneously. While I applaud his entrepreneurialism, he was working outside the oversight of the council and me, which is completely untenable, Draper said. Glenn Halvers' mind was in overdrive. He had just found out Draper knew about Magnus' side project. It was also likely Draper knew he was involved as well. Hell, even if Magnus hadn't told him, it wouldn't be hard to figure out. No other company would benefit more from a successful project like that than Agrifuse. He knew he would have to tread carefully. However, denial of the project's existence wouldn't be an option. Denial of a conspiracy for Magnus to replace Draper? That was a different story. He'd deny that to the grave knowing how many people who crossed Draper had accidentally died. Draper continued, It seems as if he may have been onto something promising. However, due to an explosion at the Greenleaf facility, all research was subsequently lost and the project has been put on an indefinite hold until we can assess the feasibility moving forward. It was in this explosion Magnus lost his life. Draper checked the facial expressions of the board members all of which were blank with the exception of Glenn Halvers. He continued speaking. Our Greenleaf operation has proven to be a highly effective entity in which to launder funds from some of our ancillary operations. With a fire, we've lost a significant resource, not to mention brought about unwanted attention to our Canadian operations. Make no mistake, 
All of our Canadian cannabis facilities will need to be as clean as the driven snow, for now. One of our people with Health Canada has assured me if we act decisively to get in front of this, spin it as a one-off mishap, we'll be able to resume business as usual in a few months. I don't have to tell any of you what Magnus did was completely unacceptable. And worse, it'll end up costing us all a lot of money. Draper could visibly see that the board members were calculating their losses in their heads. A few of the members muttered curse words and asked for drink refills. He quickly moved on from the bad news to the worst news, exercising some creative license to lay 100% of the blame for the Glasser debacle on dead Magnus. Magnus's adventure also crossed an operational line. He apparently hired an outside consultant to help with his project, who was none other than Jack Glasser, Draper said. A chorus of holy shits and oh fucks echoed off their brandy glasses. This was obviously news to Glenn Halvers at Agrifuse by his expression. I know, Draper said in a reassuring fashion. Now was the critical juncture of the meeting and required him to insulate himself from his own decision to let Magnus retain Jack for the project. Draper let the situation sink in, then continued. Magnus did this without anyone's knowledge, and yes, it has no doubt hindered our progress in understanding how or what Glasser is using to profit from some of our most important market machinations. He paused for dramatic effect. That's still an ongoing operation. However, we've had setbacks. Our operative, who was working Glasser for almost a year, had her cover completely blown. We're involved in an intense cleanup phase as we speak. What the fuck, Draper? Tom Janfield, the red-faced oil company executive from Trident Energy, shouted. We've been waiting a long goddamn time for you to find out how he knows what we're doing before we do. Our market moves are supposed to be so goddamn complicated they're invisible. We know he's done a lot of government work. How do we know he's not working with them now? Ready to expose us all, the oil exec said. That's not going to happen. We've been able to determine conclusively that Mr. Glasser hasn't been and currently isn't spearheading any law enforcement operations. He's been in it for himself. A low-key stock raider has created something, maybe an analytics platform, with some limited insight or damn good guesses as to what we're doing. From what we could tell so far... He hasn't made the connection that there's a invisible hand or a market force at work. Draper said this knowing full well that the last part of his calming speech was bullshit. His operative, Beth Colby, so much as told Jack what they were interested in in a last-ditch effort to understand his methods. But then again, Jack was supposed to be dead shortly after that revelation. He still was walking upright, which was a problem. But Beth clearly believed Jack when he denied any knowledge of the organization's market moves. That still didn't sit well with Draper. He knew his operative better than anyone, knew her skill set, and the temperature of the ice that ran through her veins. However, with Jack Glasser, Draper suspected her judgment was clouded after being personally involved with him for almost a year. Glasser was still alive, and that was indeed a problem. However... It was a problem Beth would solve shortly. 
The oil exec spoke up quickly in response. That's all well and good that you don't believe there's a problem, but I don't feel comfortable with this much potential exposure, the oil exec continued. Heads nodded in response. Let me assure you in no uncertain terms, Draper said, the agent whose operation this was is our most trusted and skilled. She's in the process of not only cleaning up Magnus's mess, but also dealing with Mr. Glasser in a very expeditious and permanent manner. There will be no blowback, Draper said. The exec from New England who had questioned the unseemly use of the term money laundering quickly piped in. So, what are you saying? You're going to take him out? God damn it, Draper losing control of his temper. What the fuck kind of question is that? He lowered his voice with the ferocity of someone trying to keep a lid on an IED. I believe you, Bob, pointing directly at him, you thought the term money laundering was unseemly. Isn't that what you said, Bob? Spittle forming in the corner of Draper's mouth. He continued, Now you're questioning how I'm going to contain this situation? Do you really want to know? Really? If you'll all recall... This isn't the biggest mishap we've had to deal with, not by a long shot. What I'm looking for here is an acknowledgement of the situation and the backing to get things done. I'm only working in your best goddamn interest, like I've always done in the past. We have an existential crisis, and I'm going to damn well fix it. Is that too unfucking seemly or do you have a problem with that? Draper shouted. All of the oxygen was immediately sucked out of the room, replaced with stale smoke and the odor of nervous sweat. The board member backed down and the tension subsided as board members dispersed to find the bathrooms and make phone calls. Glenn Halvers at Agrifuse took advantage of the momentary break in the action to quietly approach Draper for a private conversation about Magnus's virus experiment. He knew he had to go all in at this point, and hoped Draper would ultimately trust his version of events over Magnus's, whatever they were. So are you saying that the Greenleaf facility won't be able to provide any more of the viral agent or vaccine? Halvers asked conspiratorially. Draper looked at him sideways. Glenn, what do you know about that? Really? I know as much as you and Magnus, I suppose, Glenn feigning surprise at the question. Draper shook his head. Were you working with Magnus on this? Of course I was. You know that. Halvers pretended to be slightly insulted. It was an interesting project one of our employees began to work on a year or so ago. When Magnus found out, he wanted to run with it. He said he had your full blessing. He paused and looked at Draper. Draper said nothing, just glared at him. He didn't tell you, did he? Glenn Halvers turned and whispered under his breath, audibly so Draper could hear. Oh, Magnus, you son of a bitch, Halvers said, delivering an Oscar-worthy performance in his mind. Draper took it all in, cataloging the visual tells of yet another lying scumbag. He knew damn well Halvers was lying. His new operative Serena Green had told him as much when she was debriefed after the Greenleaf incident. Magnus's pompous ass could never keep a secret, especially around a pretty lady. He played along with Halvers nonetheless. Draper spoke up. More of the vaccine? 
There was never any in the first place, at least none that worked. Draper saw the executive shift uncomfortably. Glenn, please don't tell me he gave you some and you used it. Glenn looked at him with confusion. Of course he did. He provided me with samples of the agent and the vaccine. We've already begun small batch testing at one of our test facilities. He said you knew about it and encouraged it, Halver said. Draper looked at him with dismay, staring at him for a solid minute while trying to formulate his thoughts. This was actually a new disturbing development. You've begun testing? Is that what you said? Draper asked, straining to control himself. Glenn Halvers tried to make himself bigger as he leaned forward, knowing he was complicit in going behind Draper's back, and his life most likely depended on his acting skills. You're damn right, that's what I said. Magnus gave me samples of each and assured me he'd deliver more in short order. I've been waiting on this for over a year. I, well, I mean Agrifuse, deserves this. We funded a lot of other shit that hasn't benefited us directly, and this would. We just got this test project up and running, and now you're telling me it doesn't work, and I won't be able to fix it because of some cocksucking day trader? Draper's eyes were positively radioactive. However, his expression was flat. Glenn, how much money have I made you? Halvers was silent, then looked down at his feet. A lot, he said. So now you're telling me that a lot just isn't enough, Draper said, adopting a parental tone. You're building immense personal wealth. Why do you care about a big win for Agrifuse? Can't you see your success so far has been tied to the big picture? Sure, it may be a success for Agrifuse, but a successful project like yours would throw a wrench into our long-term plans. Glenn, there's a reason we don't go rogue here. It costs a lot of money and people get hurt. Glenn stared uncomfortably at Draper, understanding the full implications of his subtly veiled threat. Glenn, forget the money. Forget the breach of protocol. Halvers tried to interrupt and come to his own defense, but Draper put his hand up and continued. Whether you knew it was a breach or not, we don't know what Magnus gave you or how it works. Right now, that's a much bigger problem. I don't care if you miss Christmas. You better close that testing site down and burn whatever's left to make sure that virus is contained. Draper turned to leave. Tell Magnus' scientist Gomes. He's the one that's testing it, Halver said with dismay. Draper stopped and turned around slowly. Can you repeat that, please? Draper said calmly, trying to stifle his obvious malice. What part? Halvers asked, taken aback. Glenn, you do know where the virus was deployed, right? Draper asked, coaching the witness. No, of course not. Magnus's scientist, uh, Gomes, was handling that. Halvers spit out, trying to distance himself by not owning up to the fact that he knew Gomes personally and that he had recommended him to Magnus in the first place. Draper shook his head. Well, Glenn, sounds like we have a problem. Gomes is dead. So if you're saying he's the only one who knows where that toxic shit's been unleashed, then we have a very big problem, Draper whispered. Halver suddenly looked visibly shaken. Dead? 
What happened? Did he die in the fire? Draper just stared back without saying a word. Halvers eventually capitulated. What? Halvers asked. Just say it. What happened? Gomes was put down, Draper said slowly. He was put down like a fucking dog because he went rogue. Draper paused. Because he and Magnus told someone, Jack Glasser to be exact, some shit that should not have been told about an unsanctioned viral experiment, Draper added, not blinking and boring a hole through Halver's skull. Halver shifted his feet and his face went slack. That's not good, Halver said, eyes darting back and forth in their sockets as if simultaneously terrified while trying to think. What part, Glenn? The talking to Jack Glasser part? Or the entrepreneurial shit that you were a part of? Draper fired back. Halvers calculated quickly that pushing the limits of denial wasn't in his immediate best interest. He quickly pivoted. The problem is the shit is out there and we don't know where. Halvers quickly answered the question. Yeah, Glenn. Definitely not good, Draper said. So tell me, and I want you to think about this really hard. Tell me what you know and where you use that stuff. Halvers gulped hard. I don't know where Gomes deployed it. Well, not exactly. But I'm thinking I gave him three site options, he stammered. Hell, I don't even know if one of those is where he deployed it. Magnus didn't tell me anything about the logistics. Where, was all Draper asked. His calm was unnerving. Halvert gave Draper the names and locations of the prospective sites while trying to convince him he couldn't be sure if any of the sites were the test beds. Glenn, I hope to God you're right, Draper said quickly. He left Halvers marinating in fear and joined the other members. The meeting was adjourned shortly after voting was completed. The vote was unanimous, giving Draper the power to take any steps he deemed necessary for damage control. As he watched Halvers leave, it took a total of two minutes for him to decide the first order of business. He picked up the phone and dialed Beth. Beth picked up Draper's call in the fourth ring. Her thigh was throbbing and had yet to take the handful of painkillers Serena had given her. There's been a change. I need you to hit the pause button on Glasser in your Greenleaf cleanup. I need you to kill a motherfucker, Draper said. I just did, if you'll remember, she said calmly. Draper quickly popped out of his preoccupation with Glenn Halvers and realized with all of his event planning, he should have called earlier regarding Gomes. Speaking of which, how did it go, he asked. Complicated, she replied. Draper never liked complicated, and as Beth told him about the Gomes team of watchers and her leg that had been sliced, he almost felt a tinge of regret for not reaching out to her sooner. Who are they, he asked, referencing Gomes' security detail. No clue, but on average they were better than most. It was a fluke I spotted them in the first place. The other thing is, I don't believe they were protecting Gomes. Gomes wasn't aware he was being watched. There were two pairs of watchers, a couple of B players who went down easy, and a couple of pros. I didn't get the sense they were protecting Gomes as much as using him as bait, waiting for me, Beth said. They say that? Draper asked. Didn't have to. 
I could tell by the way they operated and by what Gomes told me before I shot him. Well, please don't keep me in suspense. What the hell did he say? Draper asked. He said the night of the Greenleaf fiasco, he was picked up by what looked like FBI types, about a mile out from the facility, she said. Did the Glasser brothers bring them there? A wave of panic beginning to overtake Draper. No, I don't believe so. Supposedly they were shitting their pants as much as Gomes was. The agents never told him who they were or who they were affiliated with, but were clearly high-end federal law enforcement, Beth said. What the hell? That can't be. Our guy in the Justice Department told us we were clear. There weren't supposed to be any law enforcement, much less U.S. law enforcement, anywhere near there. Nobody knew a goddamn thing about what was going on that night. Well, someone did, because they were there. And they were at Gomes's apartment, laying a trap for me. She paused for a moment to consider something and then continued. I don't know. Our justice connection may not be wrong after all. These guys were pros, definitely ex-law enforcement, but there was something different. They were working for someone else. One of them said something odd right before, well right before he died. He said I couldn't kill him because he was already dead, Beth said. Draper bit his lip. As a former military officer who was officially listed as killed in action, to hear that was chilling. It was a line he had used several times before himself. He had a tingle in the back of his spine that made him believe something or some other competing entity had inserted itself into the equation and he was having trouble making it all add up. He was lost in thought when she asked about the big board meeting in Memphis. He dropped more unexpected bad news on her. What about the toxin? Is it secure or still out there? It's out there. Possibly deployed, Draper said flatly. He used the shit? Doesn't he know there's no vaccine? Beth said, not able to contain her surprise. He was unaware of that fact, Draper said. Shit, Beth whispered to herself. Neither said anything for a full 30 seconds before Draper broke the silence. I know it certainly complicates things, he said. If I'd known, I wouldn't have killed him. We may have been able to use him to create the antidote. One of Draper's mottos was never litigate the past. What's done is done. You know my opinion on the subject. We made a decision at the time based on the facts we had at the moment. The reality is he didn't have a vaccine that was working. He was clearly stuck and unable to work it out on his own. Jack Glasser figured that out in a few hours, Draper replied. She twitched a little when she heard Jack's name, and her mind wandered. Jack was the next assignment, or at least the assignment after next, after Halvers. She knew Jack had to die. There was no way around it. She also knew that she was the one that had to do it. Maybe even needed to be the one to do it. It was an odd, almost conflicted feeling. One that she had never experienced before. Possibly some perverted sense of duty, or maybe because she had gotten to know him, slept with him, and pretended to love him for almost a year. For some reason, she wanted to make sure Jack wouldn't suffer. She quickly returned to the matters at hand. I guess you're right, 
Combs was a fucking idiot, she relented. So, about Halvers, you're good with that, right? Draper asked. Yeah, I'll take care of it. I always hated that asshole. He was almost as bad as Magnus. Beth paused. I'll have to see about the leg, though. You'll be fine. It takes more than a little cut to slow you down, Draper said casually, trying his best to gloss over the injury. Beth shrugged it off. Do you know where he deployed the toxin? Is he going to clean it up? She asked. That's the other small problem. Gomes chose the spot, and Halvers doesn't know where the ship was deployed, Draper said. Great. So where does that leave us? She asked. Halvers gave us three possible sites. So right now I'm thinking that leaves us without further need of him for sure. We'll have to track it down the old-fashioned way. Draper paused, eager to change the subject, and asked, How's your protege coming along? Referring to Serena Green. Eh, coming along, she said flatly. Do you trust her? He asked. That's a stupid question. I don't trust anyone, she replied. Do you trust her enough to have her take part in this? I want to move her from observational to operational. She needs to get her hands dirty. Can she handle it? Draper asked. The line was quiet for a while before Beth finally spoke. I guess we'll find out, she said.